You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hooray for Hollywood Hooray for Hollywood You're so misunderstood Keep shining like you should Hooray for Hollywood Hey, this is Brett Gersky. Welcome to another episode of On The List. This is episode number 57. It's October 2020. We are coming to you from the Believe Podcast Network. My guest today is a friend of mine who also happens to be one of the biggest animal lovers I know, which is a good thing because he's also one of the most famous vets in the world. His new book, World Wild Vet, uh, was released yesterday. I've got a copy right here. He's also got his own line of pet products called Happy Pet, and he's the star of his own show on Animal Planet called Evan Goes Wild. Of course, I'm talking about Evan Anton. What's up, Evan? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me, Brad. Good. How are you doing? Very good. Uh, we're obviously on Zoom right now, so the video from the podcast will be up on YouTube and Instagram. Uh, I think the last time we saw each other in person was my birthday party last I year. Think it was the birthday, yeah. <laughs> my 40th birthday. Yeah, it's yeah. Cool. That was November of last year. Uh, we didn't know that four months later, the world was going to completely change. No, uh, we did not. And now it's coming up again in November, so it's been almost a year. But I feel like with Instagram and social media, you're able to stay up to date with your friends and what they're doing. Yeah, so obviously we've been in touch. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I've been following what's been going on with you. Um, so speaking of Instagram, you currently have 1.4 million followers, and it's growing every day, uh, which probably makes you one of the best-known vets in the world. And you've been using the platform to educate the world about animals and wildlife preservation and I learned a lot from her Instagram. And so now you've taken it to the next level with this book. Uh, it came out yesterday. How are you feeling today? It's finally here. Um, I'm so excited. This has been like a project that it's really, you know, nearly three years in the making. Wow. We saw, you know, I started creating the, you know, the, um, the basics for the book and laying it out and talking to publishers at the end of 2017. And now we're at the end of 2020. So wow. it's been a long time coming. I'm so proud and excited about the book and there's so many good stories and about, uh, you know, and so many good lessons in wildlife conservation, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a book of kind of like my memoirs, I guess, from when, you know, I was starting from about when I was a young wildlife enthusiast, 21 years old, right. traveling, you know, looking for wildlife and my favorite wildlife in their native habitats around the world that started in Australia and, right. um, has evolved from me being a young, you know, uh, wildlife freak that was sometimes making decisions that I might not make today to just get immersed, immersed with this wildlife. 
to, uh, you know, evolved into what I do now, which is, you know, I get to do veterinary work, of course, with, with our pets, you know, it, it locally at Conejo Valley Vet Hospital where I work. Yeah. Um, and then obviously with wildlife in my, my favorite animals around the world. Yeah. So it's, and work with conservationists and, and other veterinarians and wildlife rescues. And, you know, it's my professional dreams come true. And I get to kind of tell my story in this book and, and a lot of the great animals and stories and travels and wild stuff that's happened over the years. Yeah, absolutely. It all kind of culminates with this book. Um, here's what's so interesting about you. So you have a very unique resume. Vet, you've been a model, personal trainer, TV host, and now author. I don't know if there's anyone else in the world who can say they've had all those job titles. Those don't all yeah. usually go together. You might be the only one. Um, yeah, there's maybe just a few, not many. <laughs> no. So you've definitely cornered the market in that way. Um, and even though it always, you know, seems like you're traveling the world, you do have that day job at the animal hospital, right? So people, Correct. people may not realize they can actually bring their pets in to see you. And that's your real job, I guess, right? That's what I'm about. You know, I love what I do. I love getting in the practice when I can. And I mean, these days I'm a little part-time compared to how it was my first like five years of practice. Right. Because I, I do travel often. I do have other projects I'm working on. So it's it's hard to make time for everything. But yeah, I love getting in and working with our pets and yeah. and uh, helping individual animals big time. I mean, that's a big reason why I became a vet. Yeah. And I have to go over, get this out of the way, some prestigious titles you've won since you became a vet. Uh, People Magazine in 2014 called you Sexiest Beast Charmer for the Sexiest Man Alive issue. Yeah. Kind of put you on the map. That kind of got you this bigger following, right? Um, yeah. I mean, that definitely got a lot of great media attention. Yeah. And that was at the end of 2014. Um, and then they, luckily they called me the Sexiest Vet Alive for 2016 and 17. I was right. I noticed that. They, they upped the ante 2016 and 17. Totally. Um, but I like, I mean, I went viral on social media in early 2016 and it was because of some online publications and uh, one in particular called Board Panda. I didn't even know they were doing a piece on me, but I guess they found me on social and ended up doing this um, this article on me. And then BuzzFeed reached out and Huffington Post and some other big ones. And then when they all kind of put the stories up, uh, my social media climbed from like 10,000 followers of like slow, steady, organic growth. And it's always been organic, nothing that's changed. But yeah, uh, it's yeah from 10,000 to like 220,000 over a couple of weeks. And then it's grown from there, obviously. Yeah, in the millions. And then in 2018, Forbes called you... America's Sexiest Veterinarian, and then 2019 GQ called you the internet's favorite veterinarian. So you've got all oh, yeah, man, that's awesome. major yeah. publications. Now I have to ask, when you were in vet school, was People's Sexiest Men Alive issue on your radar? Was that something oh, you ever yeah, Of course. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, not at all, man. I mean, I, I, I like the kind of work that I do outside of the hospital. You know, I like to, you know, I, I'm trying to go more for that like Steve Irwin vibe. You know, right, getting totally. down and dirty in the bush and, and, and working with the crocs and wildlife and whatnot. Uh, so that, no, that was not at all my radar at all. I, I never would have guessed that. <laughs> kind of like a pleasant surprise. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been great, man. I mean, it's first when they, when they reached out to uh, put me in the magazine, I was like, man, like, I, I want to be taken seriously as a vet. And I'm not, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, a great idea, but it seems like it could be good. And I was like, you know what? If there, I'm not the one going out there and saying, "Hey, check me out. I'm I'm sexy vet." Like you know, that's not my style whatsoever. But if if they want to say that, then great. You know, and, and to be honest, I'm so thankful that they they offered it, and I'm so thankful I went with that decision to to um 
to, you know, to, to have that piece in there because it's, it's really, it's been beneficial for, for what I do. And it's, and I think right. it's helped me reach out more people with my underlying mission, which is educating people about animals and wildlife conservation and what veterinary medicine is all about. So it's, it's been a very positive thing, honestly. Yeah. For you, you saw it as like, I'm going to use this platform, teach people about yeah. animals, spread awareness about wildlife conservation and kind of like took it and ran with it. How did People Magazine find you in the first place? Do you even know? No, I, I, I don't know. I remember asking one of the, one of the editors, and I never got an answer. Uh, we, uh, yeah, it just, I, I never really totally found out from the get go. And then somebody was with them in fourteen. Yeah, somebody so nominated you later on, but yeah, I don't know how they initially found my work. To be honest, yeah. Well, and I didn't have like, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't have a huge following. I, did, I had only done like one or two TV shows by that point, like as a right. guest, like wildlife expert coming on a show with some animals to talk about them kind of thing. So I, I don't know if they saw one of those. Uh, I don't know, man. Well, in the 2017 issue, you got to pose in the photo with your pets, right? Your dog, yeah. Henry, and your cat. Um, yeah. So tell everyone what kind of pets you have and what their names are and how many. Yeah, well, like you said, I've got my little dog, Henry. So he's a Chihuahua, yeah. Toy Fox Terrier mix. He's a rescue, but that's what I guess he is. Uh, based on it, just kind of how he looks and acts. Yeah. Um, I've got two rescue cats. One is named Willie, and yeah. he's an orangey, like, uh, we, I mean, we call it domestic short hair. It's just kind of a basic breed cat. And then the other one is like um, pretty much a Russian blue, I guess, and he's he's also a rescue. Uh, and that's it for the mammals. I also have a tortoise, and she's right. running around the backyard right now. I've, seen uh, I've got a snake, and then I've got a lizard. Yeah, I actually showed my nieces your Instagram live yesterday, and they oh, and they told me to ask you if Henry the dog gets along with Dodo the tortoise. Yeah, so they everybody, all the mammals like they are fine with Dodo. I mean, as a reptile, she's not super interested in them. You know, they're yeah. not really social or engaging in that kind of way. But they all, I mean, they I I don't know what they think she is. I think they <laughs> think she's pretty weird, to be honest. A lot of a lot of mammals don't understand tortoises. Like as a veterinarian, sometimes I see tortoises come to the vet hospital because because dogs chew on them because right. they think it's like a moving toy. It just it looks it just doesn't look anything like what they're used to. Right. Um, but Henry loves vegetables, and so I feed Dodo. Dolores is her name, and we call her you know Dodo the tortoise. <laughs> I'll feed her lettuces and sometimes carrots and some other veggies and stuff. And Henry will will try to eat her food, and she gets a little bit food aggressive, actually. And she's my the only tortoise I know that's food aggressive like that. And she'll she'll charge towards Henry, towards <laughs> whatever piece of lettuce or carrot he's eating, and try to take it from him. It's, oh, that's it's funny. hilarious. I don't think I've ever seen a dog and a tortoise together. That's an interesting. Oh yeah, the two dodos, and yeah, they sit in the backyard eating carrots together. It's pretty yeah. funny. Well, like you, I love animals, especially dogs. I have Buddy actually is right here. Hey, Buddy! This is his first time on the podcast. Too. Yeah. You guys have actually met. It was uh, you guys met at World Dog Day in LA. Remember, uh, it's Lisa Vanderpump's oh, yeah, foundation. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, and you were hosting, and I had Buddy That's with right. me. And then we were having oh, yeah, lunch, yeah, yeah. lunch next door at uh, Rocco's. There he is. Oh, he's so cute. Look at his little. That's right. You were you would you had just left. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh, that's you so funny. He's a cute. Look at that underbite. Yeah, he's the best. Is he like a puggle chihuahua? You know what? So when I got him, they said his mom was a Maltese, like this white fluffy Maltese. Okay. And I have a picture of the mom, but he's mm-hmm. got to be, his dad must have been a Chihuahua. They don't know who the dad was. This yeah. this uh, family in Compton called the rescue place and they said, our Maltese had two puppies. Can you come get them? And the rescue place went and picked him up and his sister and they look like this. So it's so funny because uh, 
his mom looks nothing like him and they don't know who the dad is. So. At first I thought Chihuahua, but he has kind of that puggle look a little bit with that yeah. underbite in his lip. He's got that little, that little yeah. man face. We don't He's know a that. beauty. Look at that guy. Yeah. Look, bud. <laughs> he hasn't been on the podcast before. This he is, is great, man. What I figured. A I figured you were the perfect guest for him to make an appearance. Oh, I'm so happy to see him again. That's yeah. Um, I'll tell you the quick story behind him. He, uh, see, I think it was like fate because I had happened to have like an 8 a.m. meeting at Nate and Al's one day on a Thursday. And I went to this meeting and I don't usually have 8 a.m. breakfast meetings. You know, it's usually lunch in L.A. And so then I had the whole morning and I was like, what am I going to do? And so I wrote to some friends and I was like, what are you guys up to? They were at a coffee shop met up with them there. They said they were going to go to spot rescue on La Siena, get a look at dogs. So I was like, okay, I'll go along for the ride. I go with them. They applied for a dog that they didn't get because someone else had already applied first. And then I look in the little pen and there's like 10 dogs, including Buddy and his sister. And so I pick him up. Or actually, I just looked at him. We made eye contact and I took a picture. And something about that picture was just like, that was the moment. Like we connected. Mm -hmm. Then I picked him up and I took a selfie of the two of us. And I posted the selfie on Instagram and I was like, met this little dude today, hoping that someone would go get him. You know, I wasn't really thinking me yet. But then I was like, you know what? I'll leave it up to the universe. I'll fill out an application, fill out an application. I leave, I go to goal to watch college basketball. It was like the first day of March Madness. It was St. Patrick's Day, actually 2016. And I get a call and they're like, you got approved. So it might've been because I posted him on Instagram and I kind of had claimed ownership already that they approved right. it. And then I was like, oh my God, what do I do? I go back, I play with him. And then I was like, I, I can't have, bring him home tonight. I have nothing for a dog. I have dinner plans. Like, what am I going to do? So they said, if you don't come back from tomorrow, by Saturday, he'll be in the adoption fair. Right. So you have to come back by tomorrow. So I go to dinner that night. I'm talking about him the whole dinner. I'm like, should I get this dog? Everyone's like, get him, get him. We'll help you. So uh, that night I fall asleep, like sitting up on the couch randomly Mm -hmm. I had a dream that he was sleeping on my chest Aww. and I opened my eyes and he wasn't there. And I was like, Oh my God, that's my dog. That's supposed to be my dog. And I get up and I go back to the rescue place and I walk in and they're like, you came back. And I was like, I came back. And he was yeah, that gives me goosebumps, man. Yeah. I and he was that there. Story. That is he so was, sweet. It was just like meant to be everything totally. fell in place. And I picked him up. He was two pounds at the time. I picked him oh up. I like gosh. looked him in the eyes and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I will figure this out. <laughs> and then I was just like, I was just like, I've got you. And that was it. And it was literally, a learning. it was my first pet that I ever owned alone, you know? So it was like, wow. just like a learning curve, you know? And um, so, yeah, to people out there, if you ever like feel, if you ever meet an animal and just feel it, I think they're meant to be yours. I think the same thing happened kind of with you and, and Henry, right? Similar. No, it did. It's funny you say that, but I have to say I couldn't agree more. I mean, if if you have the means to to you know give this animal a nice life, and you have that connection, I mean, the human animal bond for me is what drives me in my personal and professional life to do what I do yeah. uh, to this day. And it's it's um you you do, you can't it's it's hard to put into words. Yeah, you don't know it until you really have it. And uh, you know, you had pets growing up, no, right? Well, my sister did like later on. So my sister okay. had a dog, Frazier, who I loved like my own, but it wasn't right. my responsibility. Right. And, and then I remember um, I'm friends with Emmy Rossum and I, and I sent her a picture and I was like, look, I just rescued this dog. And she wrote back, congrats, you're a dad. And I thought to myself, no, I'm like the fun uncle like I am with my real nephew and nieces. And then she's like, no, you're a dad. And so then I remember he looked at me to feed him that first day 
And I was like, oh my God, I'm a dad. <laughs> I was like, this is my son. This is not like an uncle. This is your boy. my son. Yeah. And so I still, oh. now I look at him and I'm like, there's a human trapped in there somewhere. He's definitely like, well, he's got that face too. My son. Yeah. And his eyes. And his eyes and those lips. I mean, I he really looked like a little person. I just look in his eyes and I'm like, there's a human kid in there somewhere. But, um, yeah, with yeah. Henry, the first time I went to, uh, it was at the Boulder Humane Society. I was living in Colorado at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, maybe he'd had this reaction with everybody that approached him, but the, he had such a big reaction the first time, you know, we ever laid eyes on each other and he was doing this. It's like, he saw me from across all the way down the hall and he <laughs> kind of honed it on me and he was doing, and he still does this to this day. He does this, like, I'm sure you guys have seen this, like, you know, when dogs, when they jump all excited, like those little jumps where the, where the front of the body's kind of low and they got the little, yeah, yeah he's doing that whole thing. And I'm like, oh man, like, I mean, I wasn't. I was, I had a, you know, I lost a pet and I was, I was, you know, just wanted to go and just scope it out and just see how I felt just going and doing that. And if I was ready. Yeah. Um, and so I slept on it one night and then it was, uh, it wasn't quite, a, it wasn't quite like your experience where I had a dream <laughs> that he was with me, but I mean, I woke up yeah. the next day. I was like, no, you know, like this, I want this little dude. I want to give yeah. him a good life. And he looks like we could be best buddies. And, um, he had the exact same reaction specifically with me the next day I came and, and that was that. And, yeah, that's uh, what they say. Yeah, Twelve years ago, you know. Oh, it is. Yeah, 12. yeah. But when yeah, that's you get buddy. Four, four years ago. All so right. Twenty fifteen. Yeah. yeah, it was St. Patrick's Day, and so and he was eight weeks old. He was he was tiny, um, yeah. and so yeah, I almost it's cliche to say, but they you it does feel like they choose you. Also. Yeah, it it is cliche to say, but it really it I I totally agree. I mean, it really it truly truly felt like that. So it's and it's he's been the most loyal almost obsessive little guy ever <laughs> since, but I'm obsessed with him too. So it's an mutual obsession and I love that kiddo. Yeah. That's how I feel too. Um, actually I got some good advice that I would share from, uh, I'm friends also with Chris Evans, who's a big dog lover and he rescues his dogs and he rescued a dog on the set of one of his movies. And the day after I got buddy, I brought him to Chris's house and I was like, what do I do? You know? And he gave me the two great pieces of advice that I'll share with you and you can share with people. The first he said was, you set the tone. And he was like, you set the tone. However you are, they'll be. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be chill and cool. And he'll be chill and cool. And we'll watch movies and we'll hang out on the couch. And, and I have been. And that's what we are. Like I decided chill and cool was going to be the tone. And then the second thing was, he's going to look to you for what's right and wrong. And he was absolutely right. Like before they do something, they kind of like look at you for approval or not approval. So you, they are looking at you to teach them. And I took those two things and, and it just worked. It just, ever since then, I've been able to. He's, he's very wise and he's very right. I mean, I can tell you just from the perspective of being a veterinarian where I work with, you know, people and their pets yeah. uh, all the time. Uh, yeah. They pick up on that. Yeah. They really do. I mean, I have, if I have chill and cool and mellow <laughs> owners, their animals often tend to be having, you know, sharing that same kind of demeanor. If I have kind of spazzy, anxious, you know, high energy intensity owners. Yeah. Same kind of thing we see with the animals. And then the other, the other thing he said about, you know, they'll look to you for right and wrong. Uh, yeah. I mean, animals and, and well, specifically like some of our mammal pets, like dogs and cats, I mean, their intelligence is like that of young children. I mean, training them oh. and teaching them is, is you would do the exact same things. It's all positive reinforcement kind of lessons and, and, and they look to you for right and wrong. And it's the same thing you do with like a two or three year old. 
Right. So it's, it's, um, yeah, no, he's, yeah, for, for, uh, for someone that, uh, yeah, that's, and he has pets and everything. He's a, uh, he's a wise dude. <laughs> yeah. Great advice. Yeah. And, and I've used it to this day. So I wanted to ask you, what advice do you give people who don't have pets, but are thinking about getting one, rescuing a, a dog? Yeah. I mean, I would say there's like three basic things that I like to start with. Number one is before you get any pet, whether it's a dog or a cat or a rabbit or a pet snake or a bird or anything, yeah. do your research. Okay. Yep. Know what you're getting into. Know what, know, know what this will entail. And you need to look into things like diet and nutrition and enrichment and husbandry, meaning, you know, what their enclosure is like, if it's like that kind of a pet, um, you know, for a lot of reptiles and other animals, do they need UV light? Do they need certain ambient humidity or certain ambient temperatures? Do they need uh, thermal gradients where they have a cool spot and a hot spot? A lot of that's more specialized like reptile stuff, but birds yeah. too. And, you know, I mean, there's so many things you want to be aware of. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of things on the market that really aren't they seem like they're what's best for our pets, but they're not. I mean, one example is like with bird foods. Most people probably think every bird's just, you know, they just want to eat seeds and, and they do want to eat seeds, but that's the best thing for them. But the truth is a lot of the parrot foods, for example, there's some good ones, but there's a lot of junk ones and they're all seed. And seeds are great, but they surely make up 10 to 20% of the diet. And a lot of people feed their birds, you know, 80%, 90% seeds. So stuff like that. You want to be informed, number one. Number two, you need to take that information and then you need to ask yourself, are these things that I can, that I can provide for this animal? Can I provide the space? Can I provide the time? Do I have the funds to afford the diet and the vet care and all the things that are, that are entailed with having this animal? If you can check off those two boxes, then, and, and this is something that you want and, and it's going to be a good fit, then I think, you know, that's, that's, that's great. And you're good to go. And the third final thing that I would say, and, and very, and my three basic tips yeah. would be, um, you know, get with a qualified veterinarian. You know, there's, there's lots of great small animal vets all over every big and small city. Uh, if you do have an exotic pet, you know, find a good exotics veterinarian that has, uh, you know, experience working with these animals. You know, these guys are going to be your resource for, um, for, for, you know, caring for and the health of these animals and, and get them in for their first general exam and make sure they're, they're nice and healthy. And your vet will talk about preventative medicine. If you know, if vaccines or deworming or things like that are applicable for the animal. I mean, yeah, just do your research. Yeah. Ask yourself if this is a fit and mm -hmm. get with a vet that can help you best care for this animal moving forward and establish that relationship with them. Yeah. I was going to say your animal hospitals in thousand Oaks so it's a little outside LA. Otherwise, yeah. Buddy would come see you. He hasn't seen. And there's, it. Yeah. there's so many good practices yeah. in LA. There's oh yeah, plenty of good pets. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, make yeah. you do that. Listen, I'm happy to see Buddy anytime. No, you know, Buddy's vet. You know, uh, he goes to Jeff Werber. You know, Jeff. His his. Vet. Oh, Werber. Yeah, Doctor Werber's great. Jeff's a yeah. great guy. Great vet. Absolutely. Buddy, Buddy adores him. Like we yeah. go in there and he kisses him. Most people think their dog's gonna be afraid of the vet. But he like runs in there and like licked his face. No, yeah. Jeff's a great vet, and his, yeah. his uh, you know, I mean, ninety nine percent of vets we do this because we love animals, and he's Absolutely. no exception. He's he's really really uh, great with the animals, and he's also a very skilled veterinarian. He's very yeah. sharp. He's the best. Yeah, and yeah. he's actually my friend Bert's uncle. That's how I found out about him. So when I got oh, buddy, it's such a, it's yeah, funny, my friend Bert was like, "You got to go to my uncle." And then yeah. I just had some friends over, and they knew Jeff. I mean, everybody <laughs> knows Jeff. It is, yeah. It's a small world, but man, he is just he he has friends all over all over the place. Well, he's like you too. He does TV appearances and he sure. does like morning shows and stuff. And so then, then other advice I was going to ask you to give would be people who already do have pets. 
what advice do you give them to keep their pet healthy so that they have a nice long life? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of that is, is consulting with your veterinarian and, and of course doing your research and knowing what that will entail. So obviously give them all the things that they need based on that specific species. And then regular, you know, veterinary checks are really important. You know, a lot of times vets pick up on things before owners realize that something's, you know, then is of concern. Right. And, and so it's, it's important to just get in there on a regular basis as your, as your pet gets a little bit older for, for dogs and cats, for example, once they get to like eight or nine or 10 years old, I start recommending regular blood work, just like in people, you know, as we get older, our doctors want to see regular blood work. Cause a lot of times you can pick up uh, certain you know, metabolic and other disease processes uh, with blood work and just basic diagnostics before we're seeing clinical signs or symptoms of, of issues at home. Yeah. So, you know, the routine, healthy maintenance, you know, stay on top of vaccines, any other preventative medicine that's applicable to your pet, just make sure you're doing all those things. Yeah, I love that. So we're going to talk more about World Wild Vet. Before we do that, I want to give people a little backstory. We first met, uh, I think it was like three years ago through our mutual friend, Alex Michelson. Uh, Alex is a news anchor in LA. He's doing great. He has his own show now called The Issue Is. And a few years ago, I threw a party for the opening of a new Joe and the Juice on Third Street. And we turned it like into a club. There was a DJ and an artist and like Mr. Brainwash did the billboard outside and they spiked the juices, which they don't usually do there. But um, Alex brought you to that party. We became friends. We've been friends ever since. And Alex actually recently introduced you to your childhood hero who you idolized growing up. I wanted you to tell that story. Sure did. Who was that? Uh, so this is uh, just under a year ago. And on a Sunday, Alex said, hey, what are you doing Thursday afternoon? I'm like, uh, you know, I think I'm open. He's like, great. I need you to, to be here at the studio at 1230 because I'm pretty sure I've locked in an interview with a big, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're somebody you're very fond of, or, you know, he said some kind of QA. Right. And yeah, he had, he, he told me he had Arnold coming in. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I'd never met Arnold. And just to, you know, a brief, you know, backstory as to why I'm such a fan. You know, I grew up, I grew up in, uh, in the eighties, you know, and Arnold was one of the, you know, big action heroes. The biggest. Yeah. Right. I mean, he yeah, arguably the biggest, right. I mean, the biggest in my mind, you know, and I, I still, to this day, you know, my favorite move among my, among my favorite movies are Terminator one and two and, and uh, predator and total recall. And yep. I'm a massive Arnold fan for what he did in the movies. When I got, uh, when I turned about 13, I started getting interested in, in fitness and I turned to Arnold, you know, he's that, just that classic, Oh, yeah. Golden era physique and and his uh, his style of bodybuilding and you know his everything he did in that world was I was just so impressed by I read his yeah. his books and his encyclopedia and learned a ton just from you know seeing you know how he pursued that and I just it, it especially at that point that's when I gained a, a, a an even bit greater respect for Arnold because he and this isn't you know he didn't invent this but his his determination his whole thing is about having a vision right and 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 you know he would say or think to himself, you know, I want to be the biggest, best bodybuilder in the world. Right. And not only would he have the vision of him being just that, but he would visualize all the steps necessary to get there and then, you know, execute and put all the work and time that it took to get there. And he did the same thing when he wanted to be the biggest action hero. And he did the same thing when he wanted to be uh, the governor of California. Right. And so that for me was really uh, inspiring. And that's, that's really what I did when I, you know, re realized that I wanted to be a veterinarian. 
it was a vision. And I realized, you know, I wanted to be doing what I'm doing today and promote veterinary medicine and animal edu- you know, education, edu- educating people about animals and, and wildlife conservation on a big, on a big scale, you know, and, and, you know, have TV shows and do media stuff. And I didn't know about, you know, social media wasn't big at that time, 15 years ago. Right. But, you know, getting into that world in that way, and he was a huge inspiration for that. And, and for me, it was having that vision and just doing everything I could to get there. Anyways, to go back to our story. Yeah, he said that. So I... Um, you rush over? I'm there. <laughs> yeah. It's Thursday morning. And I'm hanging... And Alex was like, um, yeah, I want you to get here before the interview. Because when Arnold's in hair and makeup, like hair and makeup is always like the best time to actually get a chance to, to you know, chat with anybody because they're, okay. they're, they're kind of stuck there. So we, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're kind of imposing on poor Arnold. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, he was, he was such a good sport. Anyways, he, I'm sitting in the green room, which is across the hall from hair and makeup. And there he goes walking past and he's got his boots on and his blazer and it's freaking Arnold. And like, <laughs> I, I don't get starstruck super easily. And uh, you know, I do respect big names and I like meeting all kinds of people, but dude, I was just like a little kid again. I was just well, like, that's the oh thing, my yeah. God. Like, when it's someone from your like, childhood, yeah. It's yeah, it's like there's that whole thing because it's childhood for me. So it's a whole nostalgia yeah. and it's like a part of, you know, who I am to be such a fan of his and everything for for, for all my life, really. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, we got to talk in the makeup room and Alex introduced me and it was so cool having Alex there because he you know, he, he gave Arnold a background on, on what I am and what I do. So I didn't have to say, Oh, I do this and that, you know, he just kind of put that, put put that out there. And, and I, you know, I got to tell Arnold, you know, how meaningful his, 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 uh, you know, his ability to have a vision and act on it and how, how inspirational that was for me. And, and, uh, and then we just got to chat about, you know, working out and just a little bit on life stuff for a few minutes. And it, it just, it made my life. And this was a day after, my 35th birthday, it was oh, December man. 13th that I met him. And I'll, I'll never forget that regardless, but it was, it was the day after my birthday on the 12th. And Amazing. so, yeah, I, I couldn't, I could not thank Alex enough for that. You know, it's funny when I met Alex and he is, um, is he not just one of the best, like sweetest friends? Like he's such, he's a, such a nice guy. Yeah. Good guy to have on your team. Yeah. Uh, and he I'm works really hard. Yeah. yeah. Hard worker. I, I, he, you know, he learned that about me that I was an Arnold fan pretty early on in our friendship and we we met because he was doing a piece on me at the hospital he was he was that's when he was a reporter with abc and he was field reporting and he had a piece on me at the hospital that was a lot of fun and we ended up totally hitting it off and cultivated a friendship pretty quickly after that but anyways early on he was like i you know i'm i'm gonna get you two in a room one day (laughs) he said this like five years ago yeah you know and then lo and behold he did it man he wasn't he wasn't kidding so i i uh yeah manifested yeah and isn't arnold a big animal lover doesn't he post instagram videos with like is it a llama what kind of animal is it that he has has, well he has a little mini donkey oh mini donkey um and then he has dogs and no he's he's got a big heart for animals i mean he's uh he's had i think he's had pets you know uh he i know he had cats growing up in austria and then he's had pets i think i think most of his adult life or all his adult life uh at least since he's had a family and everything in america uh, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's a really good voice for animals. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I respect and appreciate that. he also is, you know, he's all about, um, you know, science-based, uh, you know, um, beliefs and how to move forward as a whole with the world and, you know, trying to, you know, be greener with the planet. And, and he does, 
Yeah, he does things in our, I think, of value for, for conserving our, you know, our planet for not just for people, but for wildlife and habitats too. Yeah. So there's the potential that you guys could stay friends through that animal world. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome. That'd be, I mean, I, I really do believe in, uh, yeah. in, in what, in his work, if we ever work together, get to promote the same message, that would be a dream come true too. Yeah. Well, it's cool that like your childhood hero now knows who you are. I think, you know, that's one of the cool things about living and working in LA is you, you know, you meet, you become friends with people who you've maybe like admired their work, you know? And I think it that, is crazy, man. And I, I don't, I don't want to jinx it, but recently yeah. I saw that he follows my work on Instagram. Oh, he good. And I was like, perfect. Oh my God, this is crazy. It's so cool. So I just, now you can yeah. DM him. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I want to respect him and, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't right. want to, you know, bug him or anything, but, um, it, that, that was, that was, um, that was special for me. Cause you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I love my work and, my work is inspired by, you know, how he pursues, you know, his kind of work. And it was just like, oh, this is awesome. So I don't know. Yeah. We work together one day. That'd be awesome. But uh, sure. I'll quit drooling over Arnold right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, another, I was going to say another actor that you're associated with besides Arnold Schwarzenegger, a lot of people think you look like Henry Cavill. And you get that a lot. Do people actually come up to you? He's Superman, obviously. But do people yeah. come up to you and say, think you're him? Does that happen? Oh, all the time. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's happened many times, even in L.A., yeah. Um, you know, uh, one of my favorite stories, I was out for lunch in Calabasas and the waiter, our, our guy, the guy serving us, you know, he was like extra nice. And <laughs> he was like so appreciative that I was eating in his restaurant and I was like, well, yeah, no, it's cool. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be here too. He was just like, oh, we're, we're so happy you're here. And I was like, man, you know, and he didn't say who he thought I was or anything. He just right. like was going off about it. And I don't know if it was him or one of his colleagues or somebody, but somebody tipped off paparazzi because when I was walking back to my car, <laughs> somebody with a long lens camera was just blasting away at me. And I was like, hey, like, can I help you? You know, and this was this is a couple of years ago. So I was I was in the, you know, the face of media and stuff, but I, I don't have paparazzi or anything after me. I'm not like okay. I'm not, you know, George Clooney or Henry Cavill or whatever, you know. <laughs> right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he's like, well, yeah, I, I was told you were here. You're Henry Cavill, right? I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I've been in places like traveling where, I, where people say that. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not him. And they don't believe me. They're like, no, we know it. We know you are. You know, yeah. like in, in other countries and stuff. It's so funny. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty common, actually. Yeah. What do you, do you see it when you see Henry Cavill? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, no. I mean, I, I see parallels for sure. Like, I mean, if you, if you scrutinize our faces, you're going to see that we're two different people, but <laughs> there are certain angles and certain views where I can, you know, if I see pictures of him, I totally see it. If I see pictures of me, I mean, it's, you, you can see it. Like I, I'm not, you know, people are, I don't think they're wrong. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not offended. He's a total stud, you know, He's cool, yeah. I'm not complaining about it or whatever, but I, I don't think they're wrong. If I did have a doppelganger or whatever, I would say it's, it's pretty fair to say that that would be him. That's a good one. Superman is a pretty good one. I would say uh, I'm from Kansas too. So it fits, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, and that's actually a perfect transition. Cause I was going to say Henry Cavill's an actor. This podcast is kind of like inside the actor studio. So I like to go back to the beginning and find out how people got to where they were. So to like lead up to the book. Um, so you just mentioned Kansas, tell people yeah. where you're from originally, what part of Kansas. Sure. So I grew up in like uh, Overland Park, Kansas, which is near Kansas City. And okay. Kansas City kind of borders uh, the Missouri side and the Kansas side. I was on the Kansas side, obviously. Yeah. In uh, in my first house growing up, we had a creek in the backyard, and my mom is a landscape designer, 
and has been for the past, I don't know, maybe 20 years. But when I was a kid, she was doing other jobs too, but she always was, you know, very into her gardens and tended them and maintained them. And so, you know, I always had, you know, I had a creek in the backyard. So I'd go in the creek and look for, for turtles and snakes and crawdads and wildlife. And then we had all kinds of rocks, uh, big like rocks that you could flip in the garden. So I'd look for all kinds of neat insects and stuff like that. And I mean, when I was a kid, you know, my friends wanted to play video games and play sports. And I like playing sports some, but honestly, I just, when I'd go to friends' houses, I'd just want to go in their gardens and their yards and flip their rocks. And so I, I didn't, there was a lot of times I wasn't like a repeat invite to, to go to friends' <laughs> right. They're like, dude, this right. kid's not that fun, you know? Because I yeah. just wanted to, but it's kind of like to the bugs and stuff in their yard. Well, it's kind of uh, like you, you had found your calling at an early age without maybe realizing it yet. You know? Yeah, it, oh, oh, 100%. I mean, it's, I am who I was 30 years ago when yeah. I was you know, five, you know, almost six years old. I mean, it's not a lot's changed, to be quite honest. Um, that's a good thing. I mean, that's great. Different. Yeah, instead <laughs> yeah. of exploring my yard for its wildlife, I explore the world for wildlife. And, and yeah. now I get to help it, too, working in, with conservationists and being a veterinarian. Yeah. Um, well, what pet, but, what, which pets did you have as a kid? Which animal? Yeah, I mean, my first, our first family pet, we had a dog named Bruno. I was very close. He was a very loyal. He's a Doberman. German Shepherd mix, super sweet, like one of those really sweet, really gentle, loyal dogs. And he was always very gentle and sweet with me. And my, my parents, you know, they always said I was very sweet and gentle with animals too. Like I wasn't, you know, some kids can be rough with animals, but I was always yeah. very delicate and gentle with them. And I was, I was that way with him too. And um, yeah, he was very special. We had a really tight bond and he was very, uh, he was very bonded to me. And he was, I don't know if he was a protector thing or he just liked spending time with me or both. But um, he, we had to euthanize him, unfortunately, when I was about five or six years old. And um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't recall if we knew what he had back then, but I do remember he had a big mass on his neck. So I, I think he had like a malignant thyroid carcinoma or cancer or something. And so it was, it was I think, in his best interest. Um, and I'm just speculating based on being a vet and everything now. Uh, yeah, and then I, I had a bunny uh that my first my personal first pet whatever was a bunny i got him when i was very young but my mom also said it was very gentle and i named him paco i don't know where i got that name but <laughs> that works. yeah and i had some a couple of different reptile pets growing up and uh we had cats and dogs all my life um and then uh you know in middle school and like high school i got more interested in like being you know social and hang out with friends and and playing sports and in high school we'd party and that kind of stuff but i'd still be a good student like i wasn't a total <laughs> total you know reckless kid or anything yeah um and then towards the well, end of high school i took a zoology course okay and it, it was the first time in 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 my public you know school education that i actually liked to learn and i didn't mind studying for tests and i didn't mind reading up on things and I, I was learning so much about the animal world from the cellular level to uh you know all the way up to vertebrates and complex you know mammals and things like that and I just, I really took a big interest to it. And I ended up going to college the next year. I went to CU Boulder and I started as a business major. Right. And in those intro courses, they didn't really captivate my attention as much. And I find it more interesting now, to be honest, than I did then. But it wasn't, back then I wasn't that excited by it. But I also took some biology courses and I took Gen Bio 1 and evolutionary biology. And it was the same kind of passion that I had in zoology. It was like, I found it fascinating. <laughs> I loved yeah. it. It didn't, wasn't, it wasn't work to me. It was just like, uh, I love learning more. I love getting these perspectives. Like when I really learned in depth about evolution and it just made so much sense to me too, you know, more than anything else, uh, you know, you, any other way you can kind of look at the world. Um, and so, yeah, towards the end of that year, I was like, man, you know what? I love animals. You know, I have an appreciation for medicine and surgery. I love working with my hands. Um, I love learning about them in the, in the, in the, in the educational, you know, 
in the in, in terms of the, the education of it. And this seems like this is just such a fit for me. And I just kind of yeah. made that decision. And it, it's I never looked back. I never questioned it again. And I, at that point, you know, I was nine, 19 and I, that vision just started getting laid out. And so yeah. then I, I knew I just wanted to be a vet. And it wasn't until a couple of years later, my junior year of undergrad, I studied abroad in Australia. And that's actually when I realized I wanted to be doing not only helping individual animals as a veterinarian, but um, you know, doing, doing what I'm doing today, honestly. You know? And, and I, I still have goals to do it on a bigger and bigger scale. Right. But where I have a platform where I can educate you know, more, more people about, you know, why I'm passionate about animals, why I think they would be passionate about animals and educating them about animals and, and what vet medicine's all about. And of course, wildlife and wildlife conservation. And so that's where, that's where that vision really started. And what then was what was it about that trip to Australia that, um, was it the exotic animals or? What? Yeah. I mean, so Australia has really unique wildlife, very different than what we have in North America. They have tons of marsupials. They have really fascinating reptiles. I mean, they've got right. nine of the top 10 deadliest snakes in the world. They've got the biggest crocodile species in the world. Uh, so that was all super exciting to me. I was another big like idol and somebody I was, that was you know, very inspirational to me was Steve Irwin. Yeah. And um, I mean, he's, he does a lot of legitimate in, in his family maintains and continues to do a ton of legitimate, real important wildlife conservation work. But I think one of the, one of his biggest strengths was he got, more people than probably anybody in history excited about animals, Yeah, you know, just through his work with, through his, his TV shows and, and, and through his zoo and everything. I mean, that, I think there's, that, that's so powerful. And I learned so much about animals through the education, you know, that, that we get from watching his show. Yeah. I learned a about reptiles and, and, and all the wildlife that he would work with. And I, re- I mean, I really think that, I mean, I, listen, there's so many other people doing amazing things with conservation. I'm not saying they're not reaching a lot of people, but I don't know if anybody's reached as many people as he did in his life and career um, in just reaching audiences and getting people genuinely enthusiastic about animals. And that was really moving to me. And that, um, that played into it. Another thing was we had this in Australia, at least at, at University of New South Wales, one of their big colleges in Sydney, or, or unis, they, college I think is different there, but university, undergrad basically. Right. Um, they have a big gap between their last day of classes and finals. So it's like a like it's like a month of like study time and then you go and you know work on your finals and take okay. those and then your semester's over. I decided over that time I was going to take a big trip by myself and I was going to rent a car. I was going to travel from southeast Australia and Sydney to the other side of the country to western Australia and drive all around the national parks in, in the Kimberley area which is northwestern Australia. I went I took that car to the dead center and did like Ayers Rock and the desert and then up in the top end near Kakadu National Park in Litchfield like it's it's kind of like a Swampland's kind of like a marshland and there's waterfalls and it's just like a, a ton of crocs and reptiles and stuff around there. And my goal with this trip was not just to explore Australia, but I, I, I had my mom send out my camcorder and my tripod. Oh. And that's when I started making educational videos. And so oh. I would, you know, catch like a, my, you know, one of my first days I caught this huge sand monitor uh, in, in Western Australia. And I made like an educational video talking about, you know, what this animal is, its natural history, its diet, its lifestyle, like that kind of thing. Just like what, you know, Steve Irwin and, you know, right. Orwin, you know those yeah. kind of shows would do. And that kind of stuff was so fun to me. And that's kind of, that's, that's where it started. That's where that vision started with me, you know, wanting to pursue uh, the media and the, 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 the larger scale audience stuff that I do today outside of the hospital. I mean, in the hospital yeah. too, in a way, but um, 
That's interesting. Yeah, but, you were doing it without maybe even realizing you were doing it at the time. You were kind of doing it for fun, but you were. I also- mean, you know, it, even at that time, I, I that it was working towards that. I didn't know how it was going to happen. Right. I'll tell you that. I mean, I put those videos on YouTube, and you know, I didn't have <laughs> nobody was watching what I was doing. Like I, I wasn't anything. You know, I didn't have any kind of a following, and social media was hardly a thing at that time, anyways. Yeah. But um, you're carving out a career for yourself. Yeah, it was a blast, man. I mean, I lived in that rental car. I slept in it every night. I bought a bunch of canned food and jugs of water and hardly saw any people along the whole way and just, you know, driving along these long, empty highways day and night all over that country. And it was uh, it was a very special trip. And, um, you know, I gained a lot of confidence as a traveler, too, just traveling alone. And Australia is an easy place to do it. It's a safe country. It speaks English English there. It's not like a, a, a difficult place to navigate. But, you know, at that age, when you're only 21, you haven't done a lot of traveling. And, uh, you know, been responsible in those kinds of ways. It was, um, it was a really fun trip. And then I've heard, I've heard you say that after that, you would save money every year so that every summer you could go on a trip like that. Like Exactly, man. No, that's hundred percent right. I would save just enough money. And, you know, during the educational, our educational years, if you do go to colleges, you know, you know, you have winter breaks and summer breaks Yeah. and usually it was summer breaks, you know, I'd take, you know, anywhere from one to two and a half, three months and go explore. And I was usually going, I mean, a lot of my favorite animals, um, are, in, are in other countries where the U S dollar is, is pretty strong relatively. And so the most expensive thing was the ticket, right? you know, and then once you get there, if you're, you know, if you're Pennywise, I mean, you can stay in cheap hostels and eat cheap food and, and not spending a crazy amount of money to get to have some of the most incredible experiences that I've had in my life. How did you get, get access to the animals? Were you going on safaris or how yeah i mean i'd go to national parks yeah and literally just get in the bush i mean i literally i would just i would stay in or near a park or some kind of reserve or you know natural habitat kind of area and i would uh just get in the wild and just you know like the jungles and and i would try to meet up with guides i mean some places were more protected or they only allowed certain amounts of tourists in or in certain ways and so i'd reach out to them or or show up at their door and say hey you know i want to do this kind of unique kind of a, a trip what, how can we work this out, you know, and, and, um, and, uh, you know, I'd work with wildlife rescues too, and always try to volunteer and, you know, Wi-Fi wasn't as strong in the early days. So it was tough to, you know, I'd shoot emails, but they didn't always have, have good connections. So, uh, you know, there was times where I would just show up at the door there too. And I really recommend anybody listening, if that's something you want to do, please do try to reach out to these places, give them a chance to prepare. Right. But in those, at that time, it just wasn't as easy. So showing up at the door was just, how it was and, and, uh, and just saying, Hey, you know, I'm a pre-vet student or, or a vet student, you know, is there anything I can do to help? And it's, it's funny now because it's like, it's, it's a complete 180 in that, um, you know, I'm so, I, I mean, I count my lucky stars every day and every night for this because, you know, I've rescues all over the world reaching out to me and saying, Hey, right. can we, can we get you out here? We'd love to have you work with our animals and share with your, you know, the people that follow your work, you know, what our work is about. Right. And so it's, man, if I could go back in time and tell myself that <laughs> they're, they're reaching out to me to do that, I would just, I'd lose it, man. I mean, that's, that's like, that's, that's so rewarding. That's so that's cool. Really yeah. Yeah. You tell your younger self, like one day they're going to come to you and invite you. That's yeah. really cool. That's and so cool. when you graduated from Boulder, uh, you went to vet school right away. Was that the next step? Yeah. When I, so I, I did another semester abroad. I went oh, to Tanzania. Right. And that was my first introduction to Africa and um, wow. a really, truly developing kind of country. Uh, and I did a wildlife ecology and conservation program, went all over northern Tanzania to different parks and whatnot. And um, 
really learned what African conservation is like and what African wildlife is like and what it's like to, you know, see how that kind of works in Africa or East Africa at least. And uh, that was very eye-opening too, uh, you know, working on the African continent, particularly Sub-Saharan Africa, is, is something that's become a very significant part of my work and my passion. And these weren't necessarily the animals that had inspired me as much as like some of the dinosaurs and reptiles did when I was a kid. But man, I mean, there's some of my absolute favorite animals to work with. And there's some of the, you know, some of the causes and conservation messages are, are many of which that I'm most passionate about, whether it's, you know, working with rhino conservation or chimpanzees or gorillas Amazing. or what have you, you know, it's, it's, I think it's very important. And these are some of the most iconic species, not just in Africa, but on the planet. And, um, yeah, so that, that was, uh, that was eye opening, And then, uh, and that's why while you graduated, yeah, that was that was actually like a, an extra semester. Like I just needed a couple credits to graduate with my major because I <laughs> I transitioned to, you know a, a year into my undergrad years. Right. Um. So that was like a fall semester, and then after that, I started. I got more experience, and I was a vet tech at a vet hospital, and uh, or not. I was like a not, I wasn't a tech, like a certified tech. I shouldn't say tech. I was be like a vet assistant, really. Yeah. At a at a small animal practice. And then um, I applied to vet schools and I got into a couple, but I didn't get into CSU. And that's where I wanted to go because it's not only such a good school, but it's in-state and in-state tuition is super important when applying to vet schools. Right. Pretty much every vet school is a good school, but out-of-state tuition is so much more expensive. And if, you, if you're funding that on your own or mostly on your own, it's really helpful not to be in as much debt when you graduate. So I always recommend that to people applying to vet school. Your first school should be your in-state school. Right. Um, you, were, you were stayed in Colorado at that point? Yeah. And so I was, I was a state resident in Colorado. I got in state tuition in Boulder after my first year when I, as soon as I could. And so I was now a resident of Colorado at that time. Didn't get in CSU. Uh, I ended up uh, applying the next year I got in. And then in that meantime, for almost a year, I wanted to pursue something different just for fun. My path was absolutely vet school. I wasn't deviating off that in any real way for the long term, but for the short term, I thought, you know what? I'm going to be a vet the rest of my life if things go as planned. Mm -hmm. So I want to explore something different, something else I'm also passionate about. And that was fitness and, 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 uh, you know, working in the gym and everything. And so I was a personal trainer for a year and had a blast with it. It was a super fun job. And yeah. I love educating people about fitness and nutrition and, and working out with them and they pay you to, to train them. And it's, it's, um, you know, if you know what you're doing and you can, you know, better, you know, improve their lives and it's a super rewarding, super fun job. So that was for a year. So basically, it wasn't until a year and a half after I graduated, technically, that I started vet school. I was about 25. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, 2009, fall semester. And how many years is vet school? And that's four years in the okay. U.S. Got yeah, it. those are four-year programs. And then, um, you know, you can get out of school and you can do a rotating internship uh, and then go to practice. Or you can do an internship and then go to a specialized residency. And sometimes you do a specialty internship after your first general internship. Right. And then you do a three-year residency. So it really depends on what field you want to be in, whether it's cardiology or surgery or zoo medicine or oncology or whatever. Um, but I, my goal was to get into a practice that had a lot of vets uh, that saw and, and also saw a lot of exotics. And so my fourth year of vet school, I made two trips out to Southern California because I knew I wanted to practice out here. At late, later on in vet school, I, I'd, I'd, I'd you know, kind of come to that point. Yeah. And in those two week long trips, I just visited as many vet hospitals and that fit those needs 
to not only meet my colleagues in the field, but also potentially get my name out there. And I bring, you know, CVs and resumes to all of them and, right. and uh, you know, potentially get a job or at least an interview out of it. And just that happened. You know, I, I got an interview with Conejo Valley Vet Hospital, totally hit it off with them. Uh, my boss at the time, who still works there, is uh, he's a lot like me, loves to travel, loves exotics, loves surgery. And so I was, you know, uh, he was he was also my mentor when I first came to practice there. And he's like my vet big brother in a lot of ways. Um, he got so the job. We, what's that? He got the job. Yeah, no, and I got, the, and, and I've been there ever since. I've been so yeah. happy at Caneo, and I think they yeah. really are a strong practice, and they're open twenty four seven. They see a ton of exotics. They do hospitalized patients. We do a lot of cool surgeries and stuff there. We're not a specialty hospital, but we can do more than your average vet hospital. And um, you know, I think we practice really good medicine, and it's a it's a really nice community there. You know, I mean, we we love you know the staff is awesome. We love our patients. Our Pet parents, you know, they, they love coming to us. And so it's it's been a really positive place to, to call yourself a vet. And I didn't even realize that some places do specialize in exotic animals. Like you don't really think about that when you sure, think about Sure, yeah. That. Not every vet is comfortable seeing and working with them. I mean, it's, and it's, I'm not, I'm not shaming any vet for what they do or don't want to work with. It's all personal preference and experience. And that's, I mean, that's just something I knew is a big part of the animals I like to work with in the yeah. hospital and I like to work with in the wild and see in the wild too. So I did a lot of extra work in vet school, taking elective courses and specialty rotations, and then getting experience outside of vet school at externships at zoos and private practices and saw right. only exotics. And then, of course, wildlife rescues around the world with my travels and everything. So I put in a lot of extra time and effort to get hands-on experience and education and, of course, reading up on my own and things to, um, you know, to be in a place where I can effectively work with these animals. Yeah. In your book, you mentioned that your uncle gave you an iguana when you were 10 years old as a gift. Yes. Did, did that start the exotic animal interest? No, it was, it, he, I think he, he was more facilitating it because he, he was fully aware of it. Um, yeah, no, that was, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun for me as a kid. And yeah, and that's a cool a, a really neat lizard. And, um, I mean, to be honest, and I'm not, I'm not shaming my uncle at all. I love my uncle, my uncle Brad, he's a great guy. And, and uh, we're close and everything. And, and he, he was doing what he thought was the best thing at that time. But I, I always tell people, don't gift people animals if they're not expecting it. It's <laughs> right. the best for disaster. And it's just like kind of what we talked about earlier when I was saying, you know, educate yourself, prepare, and, you know, make sure you're ready, you know, you know uh, really able to care for this animal the way it needs to be. Yeah. And, um, you know, things were fine with that iguana. It's not like it was an issue. But I, I only say this for if any of you consider, you know, getting somebody something especially, you know, we see a lot of this like bunnies over Easter and things like that. And there's so many rescue bunnies that come from Easter holiday gifts and things like that. So, um, just, you know, think twice before you want to give somebody a pet, unless you know, they are, are know what they're doing and really, really, really want it. And it's like an obvious kind of thing, but if it's like a kind of an impulsive gift or, you know, a surprise kind of thing, I I would advise against it. Yeah. Because I'm an uncle. I have a 10 year old nephew, Mason, but I don't, I don't think I'm getting him an iguana. Anytime yeah. soon. He's got yeah, a job. Exactly. No, you're making the right move, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, so you get the job at Conejo Animal Hospital in yeah. California. Do you remember the first day where you like, I can't believe this This is all that hard yeah, work? Yeah, it was a trip, man. It's like, it's funny. You go from vet school where you learn every, you don't learn everything. I'm not going to say that, but you learn a lot about a lot of different things and a lot of things that you don't necessarily see often as a veterinarian, but you want to be yeah. familiar with them. You know, we want to learn as much as we can and be ready to, if, when those you know, we call them zebra cases, meaning they're very rare, mm. you know, don't make a diagnosis of zebra if it's really a horse, a horse, or, you know, it's anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny getting those like more common clinical cases. 
you know, yeah. being like, oh man, like I got to like, oh, this is like skin stuff. And it's like right. the kind of thing where I could, I mean, I could recite and I could tell you everything about you ever want to know about, you know, pet skin mm-hmm. in my sleep. But at that time it was, it was funny. It was a little bit scary and um, it was just, it's intense, you know, I mean, you get really good practice in school, but when at the end of the day, it's on you, you don't have a resident or a clinician that's saying, Hey, you know, we, we got you if, you know, where, where things go down, whatever, like it's on us, it's on the vet school, it's on the vet that you're shadowing or externing under. It's not like that. It's on you. You right. are the final, final kind of authority and, and caretaker of this animal. So it's, um, it's, uh, it's very humbling and uh, very sobering. And, um, you know, you learn quickly right. uh, how to, how to get comfortable with that when, yep. when you're seeing patients in that capacity. And so, yeah, it's obviously, it's scary at first. The first couple of years are pretty scary, to be honest. There's going to be new cases and new things that come in. And I mean, I still get scared now if it's, you know, I don't want to say scared, but I mean, yeah, there's times where it's, it's, it's intense. You know, if you're in the operating room and you're working on a species you haven't worked on much and we don't know a lot about, you're doing a procedure, then it's hard <laughs> to even find much information on. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty intense, you know, and things can, be, things can be a little bit scary. But um, yeah, the first year or two of a vet, you're spending a lot of time at the hospital you're not efficient yet. You're reading a lot. You're learning a lot. It's uh, it's it's a it's a very it's it's sink or swim kind of a thing, right. you know. Well, it also had to be kind of surreal, probably, because inside you were still this little kid from Kansas looking for wildlife, and now you're a vet. It's like the childhood dream had come to fruition, right? Oh, it had, man. That was years of, of vision and hard work and opportunity, uh, all coming to fruition. Yeah, and so. Now tell me, how do you make the jump from being a vet at the animal hospital to getting your own show on Animal Planet? You had your own show in 2019 called Evan Goes Wild. Did Animal Planet come to you? Did you pitch the show to them? How did that happen? I've been in touch with Animal Planet for years, actually. We had, we had done a couple sizzle reels, which I'm, I, I'm sure you're familiar with what that is, but basically yeah. it's like, it's not like a, it's like a, a, an abbreviated pilot, right? Where you make mm-hmm. like a, a short version of an episode just to show what's the show about? What's the message? What are we, what are we going to be seeing? And, and those didn't get anywhere. And, um, uh, at the end of the day, unfortunately, but yeah, eventually they came to me and they had this other show that they were working on where their other vet that was actually doing kind of a similar show, a a great Australian vet named Dr. Chris Brown and and a friend of mine as well, uh, these days. Um, and uh, they wanted to continue that kind of a vibe, but make it a little bit different. It's a different vet. We'd be doing slightly different stuff. And so it just kind of worked out, you know, with my schedule and the fact that they had a need for that. And we, I hit it off with the team very well. I'd just gotten back from a conservation trip I was doing in South Africa, working with Rhino. And that was just on my own time and, you know, my own money and that kind of thing. And they just, you know, they wanted me to be genuinely all about this. And, and they, you know, they learned very quickly I was. And I always had been before, but, you know, they had other, other priorities and whatnot in the past when, when our shows didn't work out. But, um, yeah, that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. So we, that moved pretty quickly. And, and that was the kind of thing where, listen, we had to film eight episodes in eight different locations around the world um, in about three months. And I, already, and I had a trip to Spain for about 11 days, and I had to fit into that schedule. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, get out of that. So for three months, I didn't go to the hospital at all. I mean, I was literally, I would come home for 24 to 36 hours in between, you know, every couple of episodes or so just to regroup, you know, do some laundry and (laughs) take care of, um, you know, some of my reptiles and and stuff at home. Um, 
and then get back on the road and get back, you know, back in the air and, and fly somewhere else. So it's, wow. it's, yeah, I'm really lucky. Like, you know, my boss in the hospital, it's a big practice. There's, there's like 18 or 20 vets there. So if I'm not there, they can totally continue doing what they're doing just fine. They operate absolutely fine without me. Um, and so it's, I'm not like putting a burden on them right. so much, fortunately. And, and they're very supportive of my work. You know, I, I support their work and I try to every opportunity I get, cause I really believe in it and I'm not, you know, I'm an associate there. I'm not a, I'm not part of a part owner or anything like that. I just genuinely believe in the hospital and love promoting their work and supporting them. And, and, um, you know, they, they reciprocate, you know, they're, they're, they're very supportive of my work and, when I do have a project or a show or, or you know, travel work that I want to pursue and, and I'm not going to be available, they they totally support it. Yeah. And so well, in those times I'll be, you know, I'll be absent for a while or I'll be like very, very, very part-time, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, what I love about the show now, especially hearing your other stories is that you were this 21 year old kid with your own camcorder making these videos and now cut to this animal planet show 2019 it's called Evan Goes Wild. It's named after you and you have a real crew filming you. It's almost like you took that 21-year-old dream and made it the biggest scale it could be. It's like a right. Animal Planet show. Uh, I've seen all the episodes. If people haven't seen it, they should find oh, it that's awesome. and binge it. But yeah, it's basically the concept of the show is you're traveling the world, checking things off your wildlife bucket list. Exactly. So it was, it was, it was a dream come true. I mean, you, you nailed it. It was like... I mean, it's what I've been doing for 15 years, right. but now I have a film crew with me and uh, I'm doing it for a TV show and a bigger platform like Animal Planet, which was always a dream. I mean, Steve Irwin was Animal Planet. Jeff Corwin Absolutely. was Animal Planet. Right. You know, I've always liked uh, Animal Planet and, and the whole Discovery team and everything. So that was, that was super cool. On Evan Goes Wild, you're not just traveling the world and encountering all these animals. You're also sharing your medical skills. And one of the moments that I loved was when you were in Nepal and you met this elephant and she was so sweet and so gentle and she needed you to help her clean her nails and take her medicine and drain her trunk. And you're literally lifting her trunk up and putting it in the bucket. And that's kind of like uh, medical care that they would never get in those parts of the world that you're coming in and offering. So you're basically saving these animals' lives, right? Is that kind of a... Yeah, I mean, well, actually, so in Nepal, that was a place they actually did have some vets there, um, and they those animals in particular are at a, uh, a rescue um, where they they do get they do get actually they do have some good care there. They're vet, I mean, yeah. they're vets. Sometimes they have to they're not in town or that kind of thing. So it was one of those right. kind of moments where I just kind of stepped in and just continued their treatment. Uh, but no, I mean, it's important to do that kind of work, and I was really happy I was there to help out and everything and. Yeah, I mean, one of those elephants, we had such a special connection. You know, she uh, she doesn't get along with other elephants, which is sad because they're very social animals, but that's right. just the reality of it. It's it's in her best interest, you know, and in her preference to just kind of do her own thing for whatever reason. Um, and she had, yeah, she had this big abscess on her face that was resolving well and her doctors were doing a good job, but it's the kind of thing because of its location, it gets really dirty and contaminated. So we need to flush it right. and just, you know, flush it with antiseptics and get all the debris and crap out of there and make sure the infection's under control and then pack it with antibiotics and then things to help prevent flies and whatnot from, from going in, into and onto the wound. Um, for whatever reason, we, you know, sh she doesn't like people in general hmm. so much and she doesn't, um, she, she, she really just is, is not into that whole thing. And I was nervous going into that, that procedure with her because, 
uh, it's, you know, I'm working on our face on this abscess and it's, it's, uh, we didn't have the means to anesthetize her and do all that. That's a whole other production with an elephant, uh, to sedate or anesthetize her. And so, you know, it was just kind of touching and feeling and just making sure that things are moving. Okay. Uh, when, when, during the treatment, she tolerated her really well. We had a really special moment afterwards and I was yeah. feeding her and just petting her and talking to her. And <laughs> she seemed to engage and be totally cool. And, um, that was, that was, yeah, it was, it was really special to have that, especially because she doesn't really do that with other people and doesn't really like it. And I don't know what set me apart from that, but, um, I'm thankful for it. Then we had those moments together. It was a great moment. Yeah. And so you just checked these items off your bucket list. You were hanging out with monkeys in the Amazon. You were swimming with sharks and humpback whales in Tahiti. Yeah. Boring the bat caves in the Philippines. Yeah. In crocodile, crocodiles in the Yucatan, like, was filming the show just a dream come true? It had to oh, be. Oh, dude. I mean, it's that's all the kind of work I love to do. And, yeah. and I've been doing for 15 years. I mean, listen, I never swam with humpback whales before. <laughs> right. I haven't done, I, you know, some of that stuff was was new for me. But, I mean, getting to do it is, is I, that's, I'm so passionate about it. I mean, for me, I love wildlife. Like, I love looking for wildlife and seeing wildlife in their native habitats. I've been doing that ever since I was a small child in, you know, with the wildlife of, of, of Kansas. Right. Um, and so when I can give back to these animals that I've loved so much over the years as a veterinarian to help individual animals or working with conservationists and other vets in, in, in a, you know, in broader terms to help with this, with an, you know, an entire species or a population or a habitat, right. it is the most rewarding thing uh, than, than I do in my profession when it comes to my work outside of the pet hospital where, you know, I, I love the human animal bond. We were talking about that and I love our pets, but this is like the other side of my passion when it comes to animals and yeah, and getting to give back is as simple as that. Getting to give back to the animals I've always loved and appreciated wow. over the years is, is, is the most rewarding thing. Do you think you'll do more seasons of Evan Goes Wild or maybe a different incarnation? Not on Animal Planet, but, uh, you know, and we have a great relationship, but they, you know, they're, some of their executives change and, they're focusing more on their domestic shows, which are doing really well. And they've got yeah. some great shows in zoos and aquariums and following those stories. So um, unfortunately not with them, at least not for the time being, maybe in the future, but it's the kind of program and the kind of, you know, content that I would, I absolutely would love to pursue uh, with, uh, you know, in, in other places. Yeah. Remember they did uh, the crocodile hunter, they turned it into a movie and it yes. was like scripted. That's what we should do. We should figure out a <laughs> scripted movie where it's like, you're playing yourself, but a scripted version. Like oh my God, maybe one day. I probably got some years to go before I before oh. we can make that worthwhile. <laughs> and Henry Cavill can play your brother on it. There we go. Just <laughs> be me. I'll just yeah. let him step in and do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. We'll figure out the angle there. Okay. And now the moment we've been waiting for. Your new book, World Wild Vet. We've built up to this. Came out yesterday. It's out to the world. Like you said, it's like an autobiography. It's part memoir, part travelogue. Uh, it gives the behind the scenes stories from all your travels from your whole life, some of which were documented on Evan Goes Wild. Um, there's a quote at the beginning from Steve Irwin, who you've brought up. Uh, he says, we don't own the planet Earth. We belong to it. We must share it with our wildlife. And I thought that was the perfect quote for you to start the book because of what he says and also because he was someone you looked up to so much. What exactly. made you choose that quote? Is that why you chose it? Oh yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, you just nailed it. You know, I've, I've, I, I, I couldn't respect more of what he, he's done for wildlife and what his family continues to do and his promotion and, and just raising awareness of, of wildlife and its conservation. Um, and I think it's a very real quote. I mean, that's, that's what wildlife, I mean, that's, that's, 
that right there is this in the simplest way to put it that has to do with threats towards conserving wildlife. Right. And it has to do with how we interact and live with our wildlife, whether it's poaching or polluting or habitat loss or, uh, you know, anything, you know, it, it all comes down to how do we as humans interact with wildlife? I mean, we're going through a sixth extinction right now, a sixth mass extinction. And it's not because of a, you know, an asteroid or, a, a, you know, a global freezing or global warming. I mean, global warming might play into this one too. Uh, it does. But um, it's the biggest factor is people. People right. have been responsible for the extinction of, of significant percentages of our wildlife species. Um, and so it's, it's all about, you know, and there's so many different ways to approach it and to do it. But it's, it comes down to how do we as people live on this planet with our animals? And that's what needs to be addressed. Right. And in the introduction for the book, you say this book is the story of how a guy from Kansas ended up getting to do all the things that would make his curious, over-enthusiastic boyhood self proud. And that's exactly what the book is. Uh, and that's really what it's all about. I feel like you live out your childhood dream and we're always still kind of the same kid inside. And so was that your goal with the book to kind of take people to these different locations, live vicariously through your adventures? Is that what you're trying to Oh, dude, you yeah. nailed it. No, it's, that, that's, that was a huge part of, you know, my motivation for sharing my stories was because not everybody gets to do this. Yeah. And I think when you have, mm. when, you know, I obviously am biased. I love animals. But I do yeah. think when you have these experiences or get to, you know, experience them vicariously or read about them, I think it can help you gain a deeper appreciation for them. So not only do I want to get people excited about the kind of work that I did, get excited about these animals, but I, I also want to share messages of conservation and what we can do even just in everyday life to help with wildlife conservation and what, what are the concerns of the rhino or the elephant or the chimpanzee or the shark. Um, and, uh, you know, putting those, that messaging in there was really important to me too. And, you know, I think I did it in a way that it's, um, it's an easy read. It's fun. It's exciting. And there's yeah. happy moments, scary moments, sad moments, funny moments all through the book. Um, and then you're going to learn a lot too, but it's all through my storytelling that you're going to learn all this. And, and, and I think you'll take away a lot from the book, not just from the entertainment perspective, but also from the perspective of, of learning about our wildlife, you know? Yeah. And you get to tell your own story interwoven with the stories of these animal encounters. Um, and I think it's interesting timing too, for the book to come out because we're in the middle of this global pandemic. People aren't able to travel the world like we're used to doing, so, you know, they can take this book and go on all these adventures with you and maybe feel like they're traveling a little bit, you know. Exactly. Feel like exactly. they're going No, I mean, I, I think you, I, I think I, that was, that was obviously wasn't the motivation when we started working on this and when I started right. working on this in late 2017, but just happened uh, timing wise, it's interesting. You know, I, I thought I was going to be doing book signings and be all over the place. And that's, I'm only, I'm doing a lot of interviews and awesome things like this. I'm so glad we got to, you know, I'm so thankful we're on your podcast at this time. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the silver lining is, Hey, you know, if you can't get out and you're kind of keen and, and just fiending for a little bit of uh, adventure, you know, you can, yeah, I, I think you'll like what you can read in my book. I think it'll, it'll kind of bring you there and you'll, you'll, you'll see how crazy you can get when you're on a mission to see or work with wildlife. Yeah. And there's 13 chapters in the book. Each chapter is different location, which I thought was a cool way to do it. You have yeah. Australia, Tanzania, Ecuador, Panama, Costa Rica, Thailand and Cambodia, Indonesia, Fiji and Tahiti, South Africa, Uganda, Philippines, Rwanda, and the Congo, and the Bahamas, you basically cover the globe. How did you decide which locations 
to include and which animals to write about? Did you have to narrow them down or those were like, yeah, I did have to, to, to narrow things down a bit. I mean, I think uh, there were a lot of factors. Um, all of these chapters have, you know, animals that I think are not just exceptionally appreciated by me, but also by a lot of potential readers. Yeah. My interactions or engagements in, in, in seeing or working with these animals, I think, was particularly special because uh, because I either you know got some sort of a personal interaction or it was a crazy story working with them or it was dangerous or it was funny or whatever. So I think there was just a good, you know, entertainment-wise right. story to tell there. And then I think with these animals too, in all these respective places, is there's really important messages of, of conservation that, you know, in ways that can affect, you know, not just those animals or those habitats or things locally, but can affect people in a big way on a bigger scale. You yeah. know, for example, sharks, you know, if we don't have sharks in our oceans, man, our oceans are in trouble. And if, right. if they're in trouble, I mean, we're, we're going to be in trouble. It's going to shift the whole ecology and it will, it will affect the human population and the human race in a big way too. So um, all those kind of factors came together and yeah. I thought it was nice to have some diversity, have, you know, Australia, Africa, Southeast Asia and, you know, Central and South America and just, you know, kind of get all over the globe and, and share some of these stories. Yeah. And Australia, in the Australia chapter, the way the book starts, you say when you were 21 years old and you set out on the trip, it gave you your first glimpse of your professional destiny. And, yeah. you know, you just told that story earlier. And I believe in that. I believe in destiny. I believe like we get glimpses of it throughout our lives. Uh, and you also have a photo in the book where you're swimming with sharks in the Bahamas. Uh, and you said it made your life. Like explain that experience, swimming with sharks. Because most people would be scared, I think. Getting, okay, so it's, we're swimming with tiger sharks and tiger <laughs> beach in the Bahamas. And they're around that area from, you know, September, October-ish through early January, February, something like that. Maybe it's a little bit bigger of a season, but more or less, they're, they're going to be around during those months. Um, made a trip with friends to go jump in with these sharks. And I've swam with sharks many times, uh, but that was the biggest species I'd, I'd swim, other than the whale shark in Australia. That was the biggest species that's potentially dangerous that I've swam with uh, outside of like a cage or something like that. And these sharks do, they're, they're, you know, people are not unfamiliar to them. And tiger sharks, I mean, they're known for having such a diverse diet, maybe the most diverse diet of all sharks because they eat sea turtles and they eat fish. Oh, wow. and they, eat, you know, they, they eat so many different things where a lot of other sharks are a little bit more specialists where they really focus on fish or a certain few kinds of fish. Uh, they have a bigger diet, but man, they don't look at people as food. They just don't, you know, and they're, they're, they're not shy. Um, they're not skittish. And so when you go down there, we're not feeding them. I'm not, I'm not as far as I know and can tell, I don't think feeding sharks is, is, um, is necessary to interact with sharks. And I, yeah. I think it's, it's probably a bad idea. Feeding wildlife in general is not good. It can be dangerous for the people feeding and other people that encounter these animals. And it can be, you know, dangerous and unhealthy for the animals too. So, um, in the shark world, we just, you know, I don't think you have to do that. So we would just put down a box that has a bunch of bait in it, but it's all completely encased and enclosed. So it's just the smell that lures in all these sharks. And it was, you know, it'd be like, you know, dozens or hundreds of lemon sharks, several nurse sharks, dozens of, of, uh, of, um, of reef sharks. And then, of course, anywhere from three to eight tiger sharks circling around this bait box. And man, with the tigers, they're just not skittish. And so they swim and they'll literally be swimming straight towards you to the point where you actually have to redirect their head. Like you literally just kind of read, you just gently redirect them. It's that easy. It's not like, 
they're not attacking you. It's not like that whatsoever. It's uh, it's just it's just this engagement interaction that you can have with a mega carnivore, wow. a fifteen foot, you know, eight hundred whatever pound, massive, you know, dangerous shark, and realize, hey, you know, people aren't food. They just they, they smell the fish. That's it. And you happen to be down there, and they they're they're curious and inquisitive, and they just want to see what you are too, and they'll they'll get in your face. And then you just say, hey, you know, not me. Keep going. Wow. But getting to touch these animals and interact with them is really, for me, like crazy special and cool. I mean, there's not many wild mega carnivores that you can do that with. Like, you right. know, you can't just go into the wild and go, you know, redirect a, a, a grizzly bear. Right. You know, you can't yeah. do that with a wild crocodile. Right. In general, a big man-eating one. I mean, there are some ways you can swim with big crocs, but it's, it's a little different. Uh, you definitely can't do that with a wild big cat. You know, I wouldn't want to go try to redirect a tiger <laughs> no. you know, or, or a lion, like a wild one, you know? Wow. So yeah, to have that kind of experience with a truly wild animal and such a big mega, mega carnivore and a dinosaur of an animal, I mean, sharks, uh, not necessarily tigers exactly, but you know, other shark species, you know, they've been ev- around evolutionarily speaking for, you know, tens to hundreds of millions of years, right. you know, so they're, they're, they're modern day fossils they're modern day dinosaurs. Um, and you know, their, their adaptations and their morphology and their, those big teeth and that body and their scales. I mean, their scales are like nothing I've ever touched in nature in the natural world. It feels like a synthetic, uh, I can't even describe it. It feels like, um, like some kind of a synthetic material. It's just so, it's so trippy. It's so weird. And it's so beautiful to be able to touch them. And, and I've dove all over the world. I dove in Africa, Asia, Central and South America, you know, tropical dives all over the world even subtropical in New Zealand and kelp forests and things. And that was having those experience with those sharks, those hands-on experiences. That is my favorite diving in the entire world. Wow. That's incredible. That's why I included it. Uh, Another, I don't want to give away every story because people have to read the book, but I did like the story in Tahiti about a dog that you met that you named Pappy because he was short for Papit, the city he was living in. Yeah, Papaiti. So we called him Papi. Right. So you tell the story of having to amputate his leg to save his life. So it was like, yeah. you just happened to be there at the right time, right place at the right time. Yeah. Well, I, so I had rescued some kittens uh, that were, um, I think they were abandoned by somebody because they were put near the water. And a, a mother cat wouldn't do that, I don't think, because there's crabs and things that would eat. I mean, they were like five days old, four days old, like right. eyes shut kind of thing. And so I reached out to, and that was on Morea, where there's not really any vets. And so I reached out to Dr. Olivier, who is a practicing vet and practice owner in Papaiti, which is like the main city on the island of Tahiti in French Polynesia. Right. Um, we hit it off. We have a ton in common. He's like me. I mean, he's like, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's maybe a couple years older than me, but we're similar in age. He loves, you know, surgery. He loves the outdoors. He loves the ocean. And he's just living the dream out there. And just, uh, I have a ton of respect for the guy as, you know, as a person and a vet. And he, yeah, he had a patient there that was a dog that was cared for by a homeless person. And this dog, its front uh, arm, one of his, I can't remember if it's left or right, but his front arm was compound fractured. And it had been that way for a few days. And the bone broke through the skin. Everything was just infected. It was completely just necrotic in, in, in areas and just non-viable. There was no way to recover that arm. And the dog was probably going to die if we didn't jump in. I, I think he was going to go septic and he was going to tank and die. So uh, Olivier, uh, he asked if I could help him out. And, you know, this is a surgery he's done on his own. 
he didn't need me there, but he asked if, if, if I would, if I would help him and I was happy to do just that. And so the timing just worked out and we went into surgery and, you know, did the amputation and things went really well. And he's a tough little dog. And, uh, he, he, you know, I, I, he texted me a couple weeks later, you know, that Poppy had a home and he was doing Amazing. great at the tripod and everything went super well, but, um, the timing was perfect. So it was really fun to be able to get to help a, a pet in another part of the world. Most of my work when I travel is, is more with wildlife, but it's fun to work with domesticated animals too. And we, we do that. You know, I do that every so often personally. We did that a few times in the show too. It was a lot of fun. I love that. And you also mentioned uh, Fiji. You have a whole chapter on Fiji. I got to go there last year, uh, February nice. 2019. For the first time, my friend Jeff Waldo was directing the movie Fantasy Island out there. Oh, cool. A group of us went out and we got to hang out on the set, but we got to go to, I don't know if you got to go to Mala Mala Island and Cloud Nine and there was no, a, dude. We just missed Cloud Nine. Like we were going to go. <laughs> I was just literally just talking about that with Joey last night. So Henry's out here. Hey, Henry. Hi, Henry. But he's sleeping. <laughs> yep. Um, so I didn't. I didn't get to do Cloud Nine. We went yeah. to Manta Ray Island, and we, okay. most of our time was spent in the Manas. But I, I mean, really? I highly recommend Fiji. That was like paradise. It was one of the cool oh, it's places super stunning I've ever been. There's a place there, Sleeping Giant. It's a mountain that looks like a giant sleeping on his back. Right, right, And right. you can go zip lining. We zip line like seven zip lines through the, literally the jungle. And then you hike to these waterfalls that were just amazing. So I thought it was cool that you included Fiji in the book because that was a place I've been and I could relate to that. Totally. Fiji is really special, incredible diving. And then of course those, amazing. those, uh, those, those iguanas out there are just so unique and so endangered and and they're one of the few arboreal lizards that you can climb a tree and they don't like skitter off like any other lizard. If it's in a tree, I mean, you just don't waste your time. You're never going to get anywhere near it. But we were, I was helping my good friend, Joey Brown, do his uh, master's research. Uh, I'm sorry. No, this is a different research, not for his master's, but it was another research project he was working on in association with the San Diego Zoo. And he was an employee of the zoo for like five years too. Um, and we were going out and catching iguanas, so we'd see them in the tree. And they're such sleepy lizards. You get all the way. They, they, don't, they don't wake up or realize you're there until you're right <laughs> under them. Oh, and wow. so when they wake up, you just go and grab them. And then we're, you know, weighing them, getting measurements, getting uh, some cloacal swab samples. And some of them, you know, we would put in a, um, a microchip, you know, to identify them. And, and some of them we were putting, like, radio transmitters. Joey was doing a lot of radio telemetry. But that was a total blast. ton of fun. Well, the stories are just great from this book. And there's also an audio version of the book right that you recorded yes i read the audio uh i read the book yeah or yeah audible audiobooks and i, I maybe kindle if they do the audio yeah it's available in the audio format as well read by me yeah and henry was with you while you did it right you <laughs> literally it was literally the entire there was a whole week i just got back from tanzania <laughs> recently and we were on crunch time because the studio we were going to go with had to cancel a couple times in a row because of you know covid or whatever stuff um so we ended up just doing it at my home and it was awesome, man. He's just sitting on my lap the whole time and I'm reading the book and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. What was that like reading your own book? Was it kind of emotional going through all the experiences again? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, yeah, it's, I, I've read that book so many times just from with the edits and everything. Yeah. But, but out, um, uh, reading it out. Yeah. Loud. It was, it's intense, man. I mean, honestly, the most interesting thing was you have to read it perfectly. Like, mm -hmm. like we're editing it. So they're cutting and doing things, but there's times I read sentences 10 or 15 times just to make sure it sounded right. Wow. Um, so that was, that was obviously interesting. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was fun, man. I'm 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 glad I was you know able to read the book. I think you know anybody that reads a book that somebody's written, they they'd probably want to hear it best from the author. So I'm I'm happy to have that available for for people that are interested. Absolutely. And so both the book and the TV show were all about checking things off your bucket list. One more thing that I'm sure was on your bucket list was to have your own line of pet products, and you've done that. It's called Happy Pet. Tell yeah. me how that came about. Happy was a lot of fun. So, I mean, it's just, I wanted to have something out there that was, um, that was, you know, quality ingredients for our pets. And right. so just backing up, it's grooming products and some like in-between grooming kind of products for now. I do want to expand on that, but that's what it is for now. But I wanted high quality products that are, you know, that smell great and people are going to like, and they have some unique things about them that kind of sets them apart from most of the other products on the shelf. Like there's, there's a health benefit to them. Uh, whether it's the sunscreen that has manuka honey that helps fight infection and lubricate the skin effectively to, right. you know, some of our, our wipes that have, uh, you know, uh, antibacterial properties to them. So, you know, if your dog has a very mild hot spot, that would be a way of helping kind of mitigate that. If you have a, you know, if you have a real hot spot or, you know, moderate to severe one, I'm going to tell you to see your vet. Don't, don't just rely on my hot spot wipes, but like, right. You know, stuff like that, where it can provide a little bit extra. And we have sunscreen, which is not a common thing that people realize. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think yeah. people think of using sunscreen. Yeah, no, dogs can get not only sunburn, but they can get, you know, some of the common similar cancers that people get, you know, so it's oh, especially wow. the light-skinned dogs with short hair or fur, and they have, it's furless areas. The hair or fur will protect that, those areas of the skin. But like on Henry, for example, like on his little belly and under his armpits and on the end of his nose, like there's not a lot of further and he has light skin. So it's the kind of thing where if he's going to be exp spending extended periods in the sun, I, I want to have him protected. Yeah. And you also have shampoo, conditioner, moisturizer right. for their uh, paws. Uh, yeah. And so you developed all those products yourself. They were your idea. Yeah, I know. I mean, I worked with pharmacists, obviously, and then um, the company that we worked with kind of putting it all together. But yeah, we collaborated a lot. And, um, you know, kind of put in the, the major ingredients that we thought would be, you know, great for these products moving forward. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's original shampoo, extra sensitive shampoo and dry shampoo spray, which I didn't even think of. I know people use dry shampoo, but that's yeah, it's a, the same kind of thing. It's a great idea. Right. So if you don't have the time and you say you have company coming over or, you know, you just need your dog to kind of freshen up a little bit if they're a little bit on the greasy side or something, that's a temporary option to, to, to use before you end up grooming them. Yeah. And it's just dogs right now, but are you going to expand to cats, you think, at some point? Yeah, I would like to in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So one day there'll be happy pet food, happy pet collars. Yeah, happy maybe. Pet <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, where yeah. do you see the brand like five years from now, 10 years from now? What's kind of... Yeah, honestly, I want to be doing what I'm doing, but just... Uh, in a bigger in a bigger scale oh yeah. with happy pet brands oh happy pet yeah. yeah happy pet. yeah 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 just like you said you know i'd like to be doing you know there's a lot of supplements i think have a lot of value so i'd oh, like yeah. to pursue that um and uh you know just uh, expanding to maybe a few more species at least uh, at least the cats as well yeah nice and i also want to mention uh that you're on cameo and you're giving 100 percent of the proceeds to rhino preservation right yeah, all of it goes to an organization I work with very closely called Rhino 911. They're anti-poaching and orphan rescue, uh, uh, you know, working with rhinos in uh, South Africa. So 80% of our world's rhinos are in South Africa, maybe more. Oh, wow. And um, poaching is a real issue. I mean, every day in sub-Saharan Africa, three to eight rhinos get poached for their horns. And wow. so it's not sustainable. We're going to lose our rhino. And they're they're doing everything everything they can. They put in any any time, any extra money and, and everything they can and their skills and expertise to, towards saving our rhinos. So it's the kind of place where I know 
um, when I donate there or I donate proceeds from Cameo or I, you know, or, you know, suggest people if they want to donate towards rhino conservation, your money's going to a place where it's, it's going directly to the animal. It's not going towards PR or, or private air, you know, jet flights or anything like that. It's going straight towards the animals in the, in the habitats that need it. Amazing. So it's called rhino 911. Yep. Yeah, they're they're on Instagram and stuff, and you can check out rhino911.org or Instagram rhino911npo nonprofit organization NPO nice. uh, on Instagram. They do killer work. That's cool. I mean, I've learned a lot about that kind of stuff from your Instagram, like things you just wouldn't think of. You know, we don't really think about what's going on with rhinos across the world. You know, right? It's really interesting. Uh, and so, I always like to ask my guests, what advice do you have for people who might like to have a career like yours, whether as a vet or a TV personality or an author, even what advice do you give? Yeah. I mean, I say, you know, start, you know, utilize the resources that are, you know, local to you, you know, I mean, so for example, I, my first wildlife rehab experience was in Colorado. It was near my college. It was a place right. called Greenwood wildlife, wild, uh, Greenwood wildlife rehabilitation sanctuary. And I was a squirrel and raccoon intern interacting and working with and helping our native squirrels and raccoons. Um, and so, yeah, starting local, number one, number two, be proactive, uh, get your, put yourself out there, reach out to, you know, if you want to shadow a vet, reach out to vets in your area, you know, if you want to volunteer to wildlife rescue, whether it's traveling or locally, reach out to them, put yourself out there. And then, you know, once you get into this world, you realize it's actually kind of a small world when it comes to the animal care world, the vet world, especially if you go home down to the wildlife world. And a lot of people know a lot of other people, and that's a great way to get dialed in and um and get your feet wet and and get working with these places so uh, experience is really important you know if you do want to apply to vet school obviously good grades are huge yeah standardized test scores are important letters of recommendation are important as well and those come from experience whether it's a classroom or at a shelter wildlife rescue or doing research or whatever but get get the experience and be proactive to get out there and and start local i like that my my niece izzy says she wants to be a vet when she grows up Oh. She's only eight years old, but right. when she graduates from college, I might be coming to you for an internship for her. Hey, man, anytime. <laughs> in California. Yeah, come hang out anytime she wants. I love it. Okay, so the very last thing we do here at On the List is called the mystery question, where the Uh-oh. guest from my last pod episode leaves a um, mystery question in an envelope for the guest on my next episode. So wow. be- because we're social distancing, this one was emailed to me and printed and sealed, and I don't even know what it is. Uh, the guest on my last podcast was Kristen Cavallari. And okay. it's cool because she also has a, a new book called True Comfort. It's a cookbook. She also has her own brand called Uncommon James. You have Happy Pet. So there's some parallels there. Um, so she she might not like me. Why? Um, because, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But we, <laughs> uh, we did a, um, it was for, it was a red carpet, a pre-red okay. carpet event. Oh yeah, wait. I I remember you guys did this together. Yes, and so we we had some animals come to the show, That's and we right. had a, we had a little we had we had that capuchin monkey from from some of the movies like Hangover and stuff, and we had right. a fox, and then we had a um, I think it, maybe it was a Burmese or I think it was a Burmese python, maybe a reticulated python, a big python, <laughs> and we were also with Ross. Uh, yeah. You know, like hello, it's Ross. You know, he's he's Ruff hilarious. Matthew. I love him. Right. Um, and then she was the, his co-host and I was like the wildlife, uh, uh, expert guest kind of thing. For, I remember for that. Right. Uh, and oh yeah, man, she wouldn't get near that snake. <laughs> and I, I was, I was, I put it on Ross and he was a good sport, but she, it was not funny to her. Wow. <laughs> she she might she might resent that i don't know i hope we're cool but she was she was a sweetheart and really fun to uh to work with on that show yeah. 
That's right. I remember it wasn't it at like the Beverly Hilton or something or one of the hotels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Totally. I forgot about that. That's yeah. so funny. Well, she left a question for you, so let's. She didn't know who the guest was going to be. Okay. I love this, by the way. I've never seen that on a on a podcast or oh, a show. Yeah. It's really so I started at episode one, and it links right. every episode together. Yeah. That's cool. That's so Kristen's question is, what is your biggest fear? Mm. Uh, people, honestly. Really? Um, yeah, personally, if I like just things that I'm worried about, you know, happening to me. Yeah, I mean, humans are very dangerous, potentially dangerous, complex animals. And I like most humans. I think most humans have good morals and they have, you know, the interest of, of, of our human race in mind. But there's some scary ones. And, you know, running into another human that has nothing to lose is uh, a very scary thing to me. And, you know, I'm lucky I live in a place where that's not a realistic threat that I'm about to encounter on a regular basis at all. Right. But that's where, you know, I've come close to or, you know, had, you know, sketchy encounters. It's, it's been that kind of thing on a personal level and, on a, and even on a broad scale, it's humans. Humans are by far, like we were talking about, the sixth, sixth extinction. Humans are the biggest threat to our wildlife right now, by far. Uh, there's nothing else holds a candle to what humans are capable of in terms of uh, destruction or preservation. You know, So humans are our best thing, too. But humans are scary, man. Uh, way scarier than any animal, animal I ever have to work with. Wow, that's such an interesting answer. Because I feel like you know, these questions, if they went to different people, you get a different answer from everybody. And so you're somebody who swims with sharks and has no fear doing that. But that, what a great answer. What a unique answer. <laughs> Henry, right there. Um, so now I'll have you email me a mystery question. Yeah. I'll, okay. Good thinking I'll on that. steal that for the next guest, whoever that may be. And that is a wrap on episode 57. We did awesome. it. Brad, thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate you taking the time yeah. chatting about the things that I get to do with my work and, and, and chatting about the book and stuff too, man. I, that's, well, yeah. that's just awesome. It's I'm very a, proud of it. You have such a cool job and you're living your dream and now it's all in this book. So thank you, Evan, again, for being here. The new book, World Wild Vet, came out yesterday. It's brand new. You can order it everywhere books are sold. And if you love animals like I do, you'll love the book. I guarantee that. So thank you again, Evan. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I will talk to you next time. See you guys. Thank you. This episode of the podcast was brought to you by Plexiderm. With so much changing, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time for you, the time you need to take care of yourself and look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. It visibly reduces wrinkles, fine lines, and even under-eye bags in minutes and the results will last for hours. You can try a six-application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit TryPlexiderm.com and use the code BELIEVE. Again, that's TryPlexiderm.com and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. Away for Hollywood. Away for Hollywood. So misunderstood, so keep fighting on. When all hope is gone, you live and you learn. The tables will turn, so shine like you should. Hooray for Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood.
Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.